Well, good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And uh, tonight we're going to start a new study. We're going to start on the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to read from the first chapter of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have them open, and we can read together Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he said, He makes his angels, winds, his servants, flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same. And your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Well, God allowed his blessing to that reading of his word and we're going to have a look at it in a moment. Before we do, let's just ask ask his, his guidance as we go through these passages. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you for the privilege we have to be able to gather together in this way. And our Father, we just ask that as we do this, you draw close to us, you open our eyes, you open our hearts, you open our minds, you help us to see more of who you are. And our Father, we just ask these things in the power of your Holy Spirit, as we put our own understanding to one side, and we lean upon you. And our Father, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we come to this uh, book of Hebrews. But first of all, we have in previous Bible studies worked through the book of Exodus, where we learned about Moses, the law, the tabernacle, the priesthood, and the style of worship that was required of God. We work through the book of Judges, 
And in there we found the repeated cycle of Israel as they rejected God. Then when they needed God, they called out to God for help. God in his mercy came and delivered them. And then once they were delivered, they returned to rejecting God. And so the cycle went on right through the book of Judges. In our study of the life of Joseph, we have seen something of God's promise, the promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and how that promise was preserved, and how that promise will continue to be preserved and has been preserved. And all these things are relevant to the book of Hebrews. I've mentioned this before, but if we go to Acts chapter 7, verse 1 to 51, we read there the speech that Stephen made. Stephen was condemned by the Jewish leaders. Lies were told about him, and they were about to stone him to death, and before he was executed. And this was simply because he became a Christian. And that speech that he made, as well as being powerful, it is a potted history of God's dealing with his people, Israel. All the things I've just mentioned that we've looked at in our previous Bible studies are there, contained within that speech. So I encourage you to read this passage. That's Acts chapter 7, verse 1 to 51. It won't take you very long, but not right now. Uh, if you want something to do for homework, well, you can read that between now and next week. So there's your bit of homework for this week. When we come to this book of Hebrews, one of the many lessons that we learn is that we see how the writer addresses the people, keeping in mind their level of understanding. He knows what they know. He knows what they understand. He knows what they won't fully understand. And he knows how to present these things to him. One of the lessons for us to learn is to see how the writer does this and also to listen to what he has to say about Jesus. If we go to Romans 9, verse 30 and 33, we read these words, and I want us to turn to these for a purpose. You'll see that in a few moments. This is Paul writing. He says, What then shall we say? That the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. This is Paul talking about the experience he's had as he's presented the gospel to both Jew and Gentile. You see that Paul, firstly, went to his people. That was his desire, that they might know Jesus as their saviour. And he always went to the synagogue first, and then... On being rejected, he then went and preached to the Gentiles. And his preaching was relevant to those who he was speaking to. And you can follow that through as you read of Paul through the Acts of the Apostles and then into his writings and his letters. 
And although Paul is not credited as the writer to the Hebrews, this comment from him helps us to understand the book of Hebrews. To summarise this comment and to put it in, if you like, uh, Bible study terminology, Bible study language for the presentation of the gospel, it would go something like this. The Gentiles, they need explanation. The Jews, they need exposition. Now, there's two words for you to think about, uh, relevant to Bible study and relevant to presenting the gospel. Explanation and exposition. For the Gentiles, the starting point is usually an introduction to the God of creation because they know of those things and they can relate to them. For the Jews, the starting point is an introduction to the Son of God because they will have heard that before and they know what that means. Let us take a, a, look, a, a very brief look uh, as we approach this book of Hebrews. Let's have a small introduction to it. First of all, let's ask the question, who wrote it? That's a simple answer. The answer is, answer is, we don't know. The writer does not name himself. You will find that he does mention Timothy. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, the writer says this, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see him. Paul, in his letters, refers to Timothy. He refers to him on four occasions as Timothy, our brother Timothy. One occasion as Timothy, our co-worker. But Paul was probably the one who brought Timothy to faith. And so he also refers to Timothy as Timothy, my son, Timothy, my dear son, or Timothy, my true son. On all these occasions... Paul is identifying himself as the author of the letters that he's written where he mentions Timothy. Now, this is not to be seen as an evidence that the writer of the Hebrews was Paul. But it tells us that the writer of the Hebrews knew Timothy. He probably more than likely knew Paul, certainly knew would have, would have known about him, and even he possibly knew the Apostles. Because we don't know who he is, we don't know for certain that he would have known them, but he certainly would have known Timothy because he mentions him. The book is not written in the style of Paul's writings. Others down the ages have been mentioned as being the writer of the Hebrews. In the past, people have thought it might have been Barnabas, others thought Apollos, others Silas. But the bottom line is, we don't know. So on the basis of the fact that we don't know, it's foolish to speculate. We're just basically wasting time. What we do know is that the spotlight of the book is on Jesus the focus is on him, Jesus, not on the author, the one who penned the letter. So who was it written for? Who were the recipients of this letter? Well, it's not addressed to a church, but it was written for believers, mainly Jewish Christians. But as we go through the book, we will see that it's not exclusively for Jewish Christians. 
there were Jews who had become Christians. Jews who had become Christians who were needing reassurance so that they could grow in Christ. Jews who were contemplating becoming Christians. But before they could do that, they needed to know Jesus as the Christ. There were Jews who maybe were beginning to return to Judaism and they needed to be needed to be shown the truth of Jesus as the Christ. So we can learn these things as well. Through this book we can grow in Christ. We can know Jesus as the Christ. We can be shown the truth of Jesus as the Christ. Now the real answer to both of these questions, who wrote it and who is it written for, the real answer to both the questions is that God is the author and it was written for everyone. So that includes us as well. That's why we're here this evening doing this. So let's ask another question as our introduction. When was it written? We don't fully know. Uh, probably before the destruction of the temple, because that happened in AD 70. And if that had happened, if the temple had been destroyed, and if this was written after the destruction of the temple, then you would expect, because of the subject the, the writer is dealing with, that he would mention something about the temple being destroyed. But he doesn't. So the experts tell us that the book is probably between AD 60 and AD 70. This would be uh, just after the time of AD 49 or around about that time. That's the period when both Jews and Gentiles who had become Christians were driven out of Jerusalem and were known as the people of the dispersion. Those who were spread out throughout the rest of the country and into other countries and some of them into Italy and into the city of Rome. So the Jews in question could have been the ones the writer was in mind, the Jews of the dispersion. So, Hebrews. Let's just uh, have a few moments as we go through the beginning of this book. If we look at chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, and it could be headed in your Bibles as this, the heading you might have uh, might be um, the sons superior to the angels, or it could be God's final words. But what we have here is a reference to God's final words. God had spoken 400 years before the birth of Jesus. When he spoke then, the message came through the mouth of the prophet Malachi. And since Malachi, till the time we come into the New Testament, those 400 years that have passed have been Silent. God has not spoken to his people. So the very end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 to 6, these are the last words. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will return the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. 400 years of silence from God since those words from Malachi. Then came John the Baptist 
And he came in the style of Elijah the prophet. And he came to herald the good news, the news of the arrival of the Son of God. So we come to verse 1 of chapter 1 in Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So God spoke to their ancestors. He spoke through the mouths of the prophets. He spoke through them many, many times, many prophets. And he spoke to them in many different ways. And if we look through the Old Testament, we will see some of those different ways that God spoke to his people. That was then. This is now. Do you sometimes hate it when when people start to speak about what we might call the olden days? For me as a child... I would say to my parents when they spoke about the Second World War, which they often did because it was quite close to their time. It was in their time. But when they were speaking together about it or to other people, I'd very often chip in and I'd be interested in the conversation and I'd say, Hey, Dad, what was it like in the olden days? That wasn't being disrespectful. That's because I saw them as being the olden days. (laughs) I'm older now. And sometimes I speak about the Beatles. And some say to me, Hey Ed, what was it like in those olden days? <laughs> and when I tell them, they usually say, Yeah, you know, but things are different now. That may be true. But the then and the now are connected. In Hebrews 1 verse 2. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. So that phrase, in these last days, for these people, this means that to them in their day, God has spoken, and he is still having the same conversation. In the last days, he spoke, to their ancestors. But now for them, in their day, God has also spoken and he's still having the same conversation. It's almost like finishing with the words of Malachi where he left off at the end of the Old Testament and picked up in John chapter 1. Now, if I read those two passages, and if I read John chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, in relation to what Malachi said, this is what it will sound like. So, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents of their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. 400 years gap. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. A 400 years gap and yet the same conversation as if it hadn't ended because it hadn't ended. 
You see, a new light has dawned. This light will shine out from the Old Testament into the New Testament, into the lives of sinners and the hearts of believers, both Jew and Gentile, as promised from before time. The promise from God, the promise passed on to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And on into eternity, the promise will go through the one who is Jesus. The next part of that verse he says, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Here is the one who takes central place in this letter. The writer lays it out in plain language that these people would understand, and it would leave them in no doubt that he was, of what he was going to speak to them about. He was going to speak to them about Jesus. He's going to speak about who he refers to as being the one who is the Son of God. The one who is God's Son. So God is now speaking to them after he spoke to their ancestors. It's the same God. It's the same message. But this time it is the Son of God who speaks. Who is he? Well, the writer tells us. He's the appointed heir of all things. Who is he? Again, the writer tells us. The one through whom also he made the universe. You know, there's nothing like setting your stall out right at the beginning. And this is only the beginning. <laughs> There's a lot more for us to see and learn about the one who is the Son of God. We're going to continue that next week. So, let's just pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word and we thank you that you have given the understanding that we can have, not through our own understanding, but through the power of your Holy Spirit. May he work in our lives this evening as we look at this passage together. Draw us closer to each other, draw us closer to you. And our Father, we ask that you will give us a desire, you will give us an appetite to want to know more, more about you. So, our Father, we ask your continued blessing upon us now as we ask these things in his worthy and precious name. Amen. So, if you want to read through uh, the whole of the book of Hebrews, and it doesn't really take all that long, but certainly, if you do get a chance, um, read through that passage uh, about Stephen and his testimony and about what he said. That's the passage in Acts chapter 7, verse 1 to 51. So in the meantime, may God continue to bless you. I'm sorry we can't sit around and uh, maybe have a cup of tea and a cup of coffee and a biscuit and maybe chat to each other. Uh, but unfortunately, we can't do that in the present situation, but I'm sure you can go and put the kettle on. So God bless you, and bye for now.